I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and today on The Detail I'm crouched on the side of a steep hill. It's teeming with rain and the wind is howling around us. We're on Herakimata, the highest peak on Aotea Great Barrier, banding black petrel seabirds, Takoketai. We could ban this guy, it's quite calm here. So I need somebody ready to take him when I pull him out. It is a life and death moment in this weather. If it's down gets wet, it could die. Yes, we need the banding kit. I need one person to be able to receive the bird. Not me. Okay. Oh, no, I haven't got gloves. No, I'll you just... could hold the umbrella. Oh, yes, I'd like to hold the umbrella. So now what you need is oh. we actually need to be all the way in here. Okay. So I'm going right to... over that. Yep. And you just sit your butt that way, because I'm, I'm going to be very close to you. We'll be friends when I go and get the bird out. Someone opens her jacket and holds the bird close to her chest. Someone else hands over the band and pliers to team leader Biz Bell. It's over in seconds. The banded bird goes back. And we clamber to the next burrow. This is calm here, and we, and we had a perfect spot that was so close to here. So this wee one might end up living 30 years or more. Really, that long? And that's yeah. he's looking healthy, he or she? It's small, but it just could be a late bloomer. Interesting smell. You want to smell it? Um, <laughs> I'll give that a miss. <laughs> Dozens more birds to check on this stormy weekend, and it's not just the weather that is grim. This is a story about a species clinging on for survival, an ambitious scheme to save it and others on the island, and it's about a key player in all of this who is walking on her maunga for the first time. Oh gosh, you better promise not to fall down oh, that cliff. Down. I've got a first aid kit in my bag, All not right. an ambulance. Yeah, OK. She is Markety Jenner, a mum of four who lives on a tiny island off Aotea and project lead of Tūmaitanga, which aims to restore native species by getting rid of feral cats and rats. It's led by mana whenua, Ngāti Rehua, Ngāti Waiki Aotea. The money, $13 million over six years, comes from DOC, Jobs for Nature through Predator Free 2050, Auckland Council and others. And they're also collaborating with these groups to do the work. What exactly do you do? <laughs> the role is different every week. Today I'm climbing Hirakimata and I'm not a hiker. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and I'm making you talk to me as we climb. <laughs> but anyway, well, what are we doing here? So we're walking up to help Bisbell, who is our petrol takoketai expert on the island. We're going to help her to do some bird work, look after those birds. Why? They're, I mean, it's kind of interesting, the people that we're going up there to meet at this hut called Rat's Nest Hut. <laughs> <laughs> But it seems like, you know, these conservation experts have come here from all over the country. And I think there's even one South American person there. What makes the Taiko so special? Well, this trip is actually what Biz calls an advocacy trip. And so she's got, we're going to be up there doing real work, real conservation work. But she's got guests there this weekend who are even sort of from the fisheries industry as well. And so one of her main objectives, other than taking care of the birds, is to educate people as to the effects of things like 
commercial fishing on the Takoketai and other seabird species. This project is huge, really, for Altea Great Barrier, and it feels like it's been a long time coming. Why do you think it's taken so long? A number of different things. So this project is a landscape-scale feral cat and rat eradication project for all of Aotea, and it's led by mana whenua. In order for a big project like this to be led by mana whenua, a number of things had to happen and still need to happen. You need big investment to get it going because it's a very ambitious project. And I think more importantly than money, you need support of mana whenua. You need mana whenua to own and lead that mahi. And that's in some ways a more difficult thing to do than getting the funding to do the work. Why is that? We've, we've experienced land confiscation in recent decades. What do you mean by that recent decades? We've had land taken over by uh, you know, the predecessors to the Department of Conservation for conservation purposes. You know, they find an endangered or a, a special species up up in our bush, up in our whenua, and then that whenua is not ours anymore because we're not able to look after it. Mm. And so when our kaumatua are the ones who have witnessed in their lifetimes land confiscation uh, for the purpose of conservation, they're extremely dubious of anything that looks like DOC or Auckland Council because in the past data has been collected and they feel that it has been used against them and cutting them out when they're not needed to tick a box. So the burden on us is to prove to mana whenua that they, we will follow their lead and cater our operations according to tikanga. I'm not thinking so much about the pain of it. Of, uh, I've forgotten how many steers there are on this. More than five million, so don't bother counting. This is it. This is your manga. It's a really beautiful feeling coming up. I can almost see my house. I was going to ask you about that. So, which is your island? So it's one of those ones straight out there. So straight out from us, we can see Hosuru Little Barrier under that cloud. Mm. Over here you can see sort of two humps. That's Motutaiko. And just across the channel from Motutaiko you can just barely see the edge of Rangiahu, which is where my home is. When we were walking up here, you said that we can't fail. But you weren't really talking about the pest eradication (laughs) project. No, no. I was actually really glad that you went on ahead of me a bit and because I needed to rest a lot, I'm not a hiker and resting, I just started to realise that I was feeling very welcome, very at home here and coming to the summit doesn't change that it just makes me let the tears out that were (laughs) being held back on the way up so it's not it's not about summiting a mountain but it's about being there on the ground pushing forward the work that matters and that is going to have a lasting effect for our whanau and for the taio the environment here. Mm. 
So when you say we can't fail, is it we can't fail our people? Yes. There's a lot of whānau in on this quiet, in-the-background work. We do it because we, we have an obligation to our tūpuna, we have an obligation to ourselves, and we have an obligation to our children to succeed and to thrive and to do everything in our power to make that happen. So we can, failure is not an option. Failure is not going to happen because it's not an option, because it can't happen. And that is a huge burden when you look at it one way, and it's an honour and a privilege when you look at it another way. On the one hand, we're talking about obviously restoring the land, but why do you see it as a burden? Because if we don't do it, who is going to? And so it's very much our burden, and if we don't do it, we don't believe anybody else can. Got him, got him. <laughs> got you, mate. He's going to town on my sweater, he's trying to tear me apart. A day later, and Markety is mucking in with the team in the pouring rain, banding the chicks where it's safe, recording the details of each burrow. Considering where we'll be working from here, that's probably the only two chicks we'll be banding today. It's all over them, isn't it? Why is that your favourite one, Skip? I found it, and it took me a while to get the first bird out, and I've just loved the burrow ever since. <laughs> it's an awesome burrow. This is a good one. What makes it awesome? <laughs> yeah, he likes banning the bird every time, so it's very <laughs> nice that he's <laughs> But what, what makes it awesome? What makes it different it's, from the others? This one, it's just, I think, it's just such a cool cabin here, and so it's got a really nice protected front, but it's also got this awesome amphitheatre for it to practice on without being in the weather too much, so it's really cool. <laughs> For it to practice on, you mean practice so when it, flying? Yeah, so when the chicks get to that stage, so each night, probably not tonight, but each <laughs> night they'll come out and they flat, basically, so there's clown, clouds of down everywhere and things like this, and you can usually see lots of pin feathers and, you know, little shafts and things that, where they're practising, and so you can see that this is an active burrow because it's nice and flat and lots of debris and things, and yeah, that's where the chicks have been sitting. So most really good burrows have this lovely flat amphitheatre out the front of their entrances. And the work goes on for several hours. Because there's nothing in here. So So there's a dead egg in there. There is a dead egg in there. What's that likely to mean? So basically the position of the egg there and the way it is it's uh, died pipping. So basically as the chick pips its way out, breaks its way out of the eggshell, they tire really easily but also the burrow is really quite wet inside. So all of that water... The water table just rose and it's created and that flooding. And so the problem is, is that weather window hit right at that peak hatching time. So we had lots of little eggs halfway hatched or lots of tiny, tiny chicks just out of the egg. And it just any water on those, they're just too cold and they die. So sadly, that one's succumbed to climate change. Is that what, that what, yeah, well I guess if it's the flooding, it is climate change. Yeah. The team's now back at camp at the Rat's Nest Hut and I sit down with Biz Bell, a legend in the conservation community for her work here and overseas on small islands. Can you tell me what your correct title is? Uh, Managing Director of Wildlife Management International. Which is a a private consultancy firm based doing conservation work. 
what's your specialty? It's um, small islands. Yes, so I'm an island restoration specialist uh, and a seabird ecologist. What did you see this weekend? What's the state of things here? Uh, so unfortunately this season we've had a pretty bad case of climate change effects where we're here to assess the final stage of the breeding success so check what level the birds bred at this year uh, and so basically we're banding, banding any surviving chicks and then we'll know what our breeding success level is so for, for the season and unfortunately in January of course there was the big weather event for Auckland where Auckland flooded followed you know basically a couple of weeks later by Cyclone Gabrielle and we had a significant number of failures at that time because we had eggs that were just hatching and very, very small chicks. And so we had burrows that had never flooded before suddenly full of water. And so eggs drowning and chicks drowning. And so we're coming back this trip to see how many had survived that event or those events. And uh, we've actually it's actually been a little bit better than we expected. So there are a fair few chicks around, which is great. We've banded over you know 120 chicks. Uh, but considering most years we banned nearly 250 chicks, it's it's pretty dis- disappointing and pretty scary. Scary. Why yeah. why is it scary? Because these birds are, are already you know vulnerable. They're vulnerable to a lot of things uh, at sea risk, so commercial fishing, pollution events, uh, plastic, that sort of thing. Um, they've got a few land-based threats here on Aotea, so there's there's two species of rats and there's feral cats and feral pigs, which can impact on the birds themselves on the colony. So any extra events like a climate event where it takes out that extra 100 chicks is, is a bad thing. And we've got this unknown level of recruitment. So we've banded over 5,000 chicks over our 28-year study, and we've only had 422 of those chicks return to the colony. So partly it may be an effort thing where we need to make more effort trying to catch birds at night and see if we can get birds back. But even so, there is a significant number of chicks that do not seem to return to the, to the area or to New Zealand. That seems alarmingly low. It is. It is alarmingly low. And uh, seabirds have a difficult time at sea anyway, and and not every chick survives its journey to its its holiday area and back to New Zealand to breed, but um, usually not at those such significantly low levels. Mm. So we, we, we do need to understand what's going on there. Because the black petrel, that is our most endangered seabird? No, so we do have other seabirds that are more endangered, um, but these are one of our one of our more vulnerable species. Mm. Lots of our seabirds are vulnerable or threatened or critically endangered, and these are just unfortunately one of the suite of those who has got a few problems. And just tell me a bit about its lifestyle, because <laughs> um, <laughs> we had a look in a few burrows yesterday. You know, they li- they live in very difficult places, don't they? <laughs> They do. There are some some that really make you work out <laughs> to, to get the birds. So the males own the burrows, so they come back and they dig them or find a little hollow and ex- excavate them a bit more to create these really nice tunnels and chambers back in the ground. And they do all the work. So they come back in October, dig the burrow, tidy it up, do some gardening, and then sit outside the entrance calling for their mate. So they mate for life and... He's there chatting and then he'll attract his female down. She'll remind her where she lives. Then they'll pair bond in that burrow, do a little canoodling, chatting, catching up about the year. They'll mate and then the female and male go off on what we call their honeymoon. So it's their exodus. exodus, And she'll make the egg while she's at sea. And then they'll come back in late November, early December and lay one single egg. 
Then they take turns at incubating that egg for about an average of 57 days. And then the chick will hatch in very early February. It gets guarded for a few days by the parents, anywhere up to sort of 7 to 10 days. And then both parents go to sea constantly and come back and feed the chick. And then their chick is fed for another 107 days on average. And then they fledge anywhere from sort of early or very late April through May to early June. Mm. And that's what we're seeing here. So that's what we're seeing at the moment. So we're seeing that fledging period. We've come to this trip, timed about right, to band all the chicks in the burrows before they fledge to go on their overseas OE. You've been doing this for 28 years. In terms of Hirakimata, what's the bush like? What are their homes like? Have they changed much? Um, The habitat up on Hirakimata is just lovely. It's really nice temperate rainforest called cloud forest. So lots of big trees, rimus, kauri, all of these sorts of things. Really nice understory, really nice peaty soil, deep, easy to dig. Mm. Um, So the birds have created some fantastic burrows or everything from big caves where we have to crawl into to nice really good short burrows that we can reach in through the yeah. entrance right so yeah but pests are a problem here yes so black petrels used to nest all over the north island and the top of the south island historically and, and they've retreated to this remnant habitat on Hirakimata and Aotea and Haturu so that's where they're only found now and that's because of habitat change and predators in particular. So unfortunately on Aotea, of course, we still have a few predators, you know, two species of rats, feral cats and pigs, which can impact on these birds. They predate the chicks, they predate the eggs, and in the case of feral pigs, they can dig up burrows and eat adults as well as all the contents of the burrow. So they, they can be quite voracious predators of seabirds. But Lots of groups are doing some really great work about predator control on, on Aotea and lots of little sanctuaries where there's a few pockets of black petrels around the rest of the island. So the key habitat is this top sort of 1,000 hectares around Hirakamata where pretty much most of the 5,000 breeding pairs on the island are. Mm. But there are a few scattered mini colonies in other locations which are, for most, in the most case, are being protected by the locals, which is really fantastic. Can Aotea Great Barrier be pest-free? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's just going to take a lot of work and possibly some new tools. Um, but, yeah, definitely, it's, it's well within the scope. You know, bigger islands have been cleared of predators internationally with different techniques, but it's just getting the community on board and getting an, a technique that everybody's happy with that can get that job done. When you say needs new tools, what do you mean by that? So it's just trying to make sure that the tools we have are fit for purpose. And so at the moment, of course, it's getting community engagement and approval for things like toxin use and things. And if they don't want those toxins, there is developing of new types of toxins that are species-specific only or different types of tools of trap devices and artificial intelligence devices and things that can help do that job to minimise labour but still maximise success. So it's about working out what... Innovation. It's all about innovation and what can work on different islands and different terrains. You know, every island is different. There's always little problem areas or there's terrain differences and things like that. So you have to make sure your project is and your tools you're using are specific for your project. To my taonga, is it going to do it? Oh, absolutely. They've got a fantastic team who are super motivated and they're testing some really innovative ideas and things. And don't get me wrong, it's going to be a, a mission that 
it's it's you know it's an ambitious project, but this is what we've got to go for. We we can't you know sit back and say oh no it can't be done because we've got people out there who are like yep fully motivated we can do this and that's what we actually need you know total belief in your project total belief in in the methods you're using, and then working and problem solving as you go along. How does this island, what's going on here, compare with the other islands that you work on, say in Ireland or in the Caribbean? Well, it's amazing. I always tell people that I take lessons that we learn from New Zealand and our predator-free mission, but all of our little projects that we're involved in and that I advise on or just read about and things. And I take those lessons and that information to the islands I work on overseas because the tools and the ideas and the just the... The feelings about the work we do here translate really well over there and it's just about sharing those lessons and sharing that information and getting those projects to work as well because there's lots of people internationally who think, oh, what do you mean you can get rid of rats off islands or you can get rid of feral cats off islands? And, um, and it's, it's saying, yes, yes, we can and this is how you can do it. And there's new stuff coming around and we'll be able to tell you some more stuff to get it off your island. And so it, it is all about that information sharing and, and just saying, yes, we can do this. What's your biggest frustration? <laughs> Funding, I suppose, is the, is, truth, is the truthful one. It's making people realise that, you know, we've got a, there's a value to conservation and uh, we should then think about that value. So we've added over 5,000 yeah. We'll be at Te Paparahi in Monday's podcast. They call it a silent forest of Aotea because there are so few birds. And I'll be looking at stage one of Tumaitanga, where workers are laying the first lines for an intensive feral cat trapping program. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poak and produced by Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Markety Jenner and Biz Bell. Mā te wā.